When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are talking cricket now, folks, and there's a lot going on in the world of cricket with this massive disbursement of funds announcement of uh, with which uh, India are the big benefactors, and uh, we can have one-sided look and say New Zealand isn't. Um, I think we're about 10% of what India is going to get from the big distribution. There's the Super League, which looks like that's done as part of the qualifying series for the World Cups, and I want to talk to the next man about Peter Siddle too, because I find this story fascinating. Andrew Metzl joins us. He is a host of Cricket Unfiltered podcast. He's also a commentator on cricket.com.au. Andrew, welcome in. G'day, Mark. Thanks for having me. Um, lots. I mean, cricket never sleeps, does it? Doesn't have an off season. When it's the off season, it just changes hemispheres. That's right. There's always cricket news bubbling along, and. At the moment, it's the Indian Premier League and a build-up to the World Test Championship, and then there's the Ashes. So, pretty busy winter of cricket for especially Aussie fans. Yeah, the um, the Ashes, like not being Australian, uh, how much how much is it feverish yet with the build-up to this? Is that is that the main focus? Looking at players' injuries, who's going to be available, who's going to be selected? Is that is that dominating the cricket airwaves? Absolutely. And one thing about the Ashes is the conversations start basically when the last Ashes finish. So now we've been talking about this this series since we, we flogged the palms a couple of summers ago. So, you know, it's been bubbling away. And, you know, you add in the, the baseball element that has sort of given this series such a tantalising feel. You know, you're going to see really uncharacteristic England who are playing this aggressive and um, you know, modern form of cricket against you know the more traditional Australians. So it's, it's a very strange um, setup. I can't wait. Yeah, this could be a very defining series in that it's it's the biggest Test series in the world has been for a while. And you've just mentioned Baseball there, which is a quite a quite a, a, a funny nickname, but it's quite accurate. This could cement that Baseball is the right thing for Test cricket, or it's not. And I think a big part of that is how Australia approach the baseball, whether they they go toe-to-toe or they sit back and be a little bit more circumspect. How do you think the Australians will attack the baseball on, onslaught? There seems to have been a little bit of almost, I don't know, casual sort of dismissing of the baseball tactic by some of the Australian fast bowlers especially. Almost this attitude, well, you know, I'd like to see you try that against us kind of um, thing. So, you know, that's what's going to face this Australian team, that they're going to be at the top of their mark in June and there's going to be an England batter looking to hit them over the fence. Um, so, yeah, the Australians are a little bit wary about it. They think not quite sure it'll work out. But, but I think what we're going to see is a great series because both teams are playing really well. Both teams are much better than they were last time they played in England. So I think it's, it's set up to be really close. 
it's definitely something we are all looking forward to. Um, we've got ball by ball commentary of it here in New Zealand as well, which is pretty damned exciting. I want to ask you about uh, the ICC's new revenue distribution model. Um, it looks to me, from the outside looking in, it's the rich getting richer, uh, with uh, the BCCI, the Indian board, getting 40% of the global earnings, which equates to $231 million. I think that's US dollars. Uh, and then second on the ranking, I think, is England at 41. So it's a big dip down. Australia at 37 and, and uh, we have 26. Um, what's the reaction to this disbursement that India, the richest cricket nation, is it justified because they bring in the most eyeballs, they bring in the most revenue, they should get the most? And where does developing the game more globally around the likes of Sri Lanka, Zimbabwe, Bangladesh, that sort of thing. Where does that responsibility lie? Well, I guess broadly speaking, I think when people see a headline like that that seems to favour one country more than others by such a significant margin, the instant flinch reaction is to get defensive and think there's something wrong with it. But when you actually dig into it, this is actually a good story for cricket because what's happened is much more money has come into the game in the last 10 years. The global rights for international cricket events now are astronomical and most of that money is coming out of the Indian market paying for those rights. Mm. So I think this is a pretty fair enough distribution model. Every country is getting more money than they did before and if India are generating all this money, I think they're entitled to a significant portion of it. And, you know, you spoke about that figure of um, $230 million a year. I mean, most of the money generated in those ICC rights is out of India. So, um, you know, you're talking maybe 80% um, of those TV rights. So I don't think it's, a, it's a, a terrible deal for world cricket, but you're right to flag, you know, what this means for the development of other countries. And my concern as a lover of test cricket is what will this mean for some of those smaller countries where they've got to decide where they allocate the money? Do they put it into a Red Bull program and look at developing a test side? Or do they sort of put more money into their white ball programs because you get rewarded for finishing um, in a high position in an ICC tournament? So I think that's the concern. Will this take money out of Red Bull programs? Yeah, I've often thought, and it's probably okay at the moment, but in the fullness of time, is there still space for test, ODI and T20? At the moment, we're sort of getting by. Um, we've still got World Cups and now the World Test Championship. Uh, the Super League, though, that, that served as a qualifying series for uh, the one uh, the ODI World Cup spots. And uh, just a friendly reminder, New Zealand are on top of that Super League, uh, qualified. Uh, I think <laughs> I, I think there's three more games to go before we know what's happening World Cup-wise. But I think the indication is that's not going to happen anymore. Of the three forms, which one's the most tenuous, do you think? Like, I think everyone says they hope Test Cricket survives, but no one goes and watches. Uh, and it's a big time commitment to actually watch both in person and on TV. Um, but I just feel like history will make that survive. So it's a toss of the coin between T20 and one dayers. Which one do you think is most at risk? Well, I think 50 over cricket is probably most at risk because of the rise of T20 franchise cricket. But, you know, you mentioned that uh, 50 over Super League, they've 
got rid of. And I actually think that's a good thing because I think you were seeing a lot of sort of bilateral 50-over cricket that wasn't meaning much. You know, unless you're on the fringe of maybe missing the World Cup, which most of the big nations won't be, apart from South Africa at the moment, they, I think they just qualified. But, you know, so I think getting rid of that is actually a good thing because I think it damages cricket having these sort of bilateral series that don't really mean much. But I think we'll see with the rise of T20 franchise cricket, you know, international windows be a thing of the future where, you know, there'll be a month or two set aside a year for international cricket and you'll be trying to squeeze in all your test cricket and a few T20 internationals to fill up the coppers. But apart from that, I think, you know, a lot of these international matches will be restricted to ICC tournaments. You know, the bulk of 50 over cricket will be in and the World Cups, which is a good thing because, I mean, you only have to, I'm sorry to bring this up, but, you know, look at the 2019 50 over World Cup. I mean, that was a magnificent tournament, you know, that, that had everything because there was high stakes. So that's what I think 50 over cricket needs, high stakes, and the same for 20 over cricket. Those big tournaments are what gets people going. Is there too much cricket, Andrew? I've often been a proponent, like in rugby in New Zealand, I feel like there's too much and we never get an opportunity to miss it and look forward to it. I mean, New Zealand have been over in Pakistan having multiple games and um, you can get a bit apathetic about it, like we've lost one, oh, but we're playing in two days' time again. Oh, we lost that. It doesn't matter, we're playing. Oh, we had a win. Oh, we had another win. And it's just, there's just so much. Yeah, there's so much cricket. And I think that is one of the, the fears around the rise of T20 franchise cricket, that it's just going to get oversaturated and will lose its appeal, lose its luster. Over summer at one stage, I think there was you know, four T20 20 tournaments going on around the world. So, you know, that's a lot of cricket. As for international cricket, I think, you know, part of, I think that's actually going to be stripped back a bit. So I don't think we'll, I think we'll actually yearn for that sort of high level international cricket as time goes on. Um, I mean, I like franchise cricket, but it, it doesn't compare with that you know, high-level international matchup. Um, but to answer your question, probably yes. I mean, there is a lot of cricket. As someone who's obsessed with the game, I can't even keep up. I mean, I try and watch as much as I can, and um, I still can't watch it all. So, yes, there's a lot out there. Can I throw an idea? You haven't heard this idea. My listeners have that. Is, is one avenue, um, like you, you can't, you can't sink franchise cricket. It's it's where the money comes. It's where the players get the compensation. Um, I don't want to take that away from them. But let's make T20 cricket franchise cricket. And then once every two years, you just have a T20 World Cup and you ch- chuck your national colours on. But when you go on a tour, when, when we go to India or Australia go to South Africa, you don't play T20. You play test match and one day. So they become important internationally. And then every second year or whatever your the, the frequency is, you play a T20 World Cup. But that's the only time you play internationally. The rest of the time, you're off doing franchise T20. Look, it is a good idea, but I think that the, the problem is that the T20 cricket brings in the crowds and the revenue. So you you actually might see a model where it's what you said, but you replace the 20 over, the 50 over cricket with the 20 over cricket. Right. Because, uh, as I said, T20 cricket is very commercially viable. So if you've got a, a country touring and you can slot them in for three T20s at the end of the tour, you know you're going to get packed houses. The TV ratings are going to be great for sponsors. So I think we'll see them stay. But 50 over cricket, you'll start to see drop off. 
I'm just going to chuck a statement at you, and you don't have to be nice or friendly or anything. If I say New Zealand cricket, Easy. what do you say? What do I think? I think perennial um, competitors, but lack that lack that little bit of spark to make them actually win big tournaments. You know, yeah, and that, that's right. You know, really good team, very professional. They'll always scrap. Um, you know, well drilled, good attitude, but probably just lacks that bit of star power to get them over the line in the big games. Yeah, I've always felt like when Brendan McCullum was uh, skipper, just that. He, he bought a bit of an edge and we've had edgy players in the past like um, Dion Nash and go back even further, John Brace. We we don't have that edgy guy in there to, to, to rack things up. Yeah, and I, I, sometimes I feel when New Zealand comes up against Australia, they get a little bit spooked. Mm. I, I mean, I remember when New Zealand toured a couple of years ago and played some tests here. They'd been in terrific form in test cricket and you know played some of their worst cricket I'd seen for a couple of years when they came up against us. So we actually don't often see the best of New Zealand um, when we play them. Yeah, when I turn the TV on to watch New Zealand versus Australian cricket, I, I gently push the button, the on button, and I <laughs> and I watch the first few overs between the gaps in my fingers because I'm just so scared what's going to happen. Uh, last thing, uh, good news story. Peter Siddle. I've long been a fan of Peter Siddle. He's 38 years old and he's just got another contract. I think this is great. It's terrific. Um, I just one more thing on New Zealand cricket because I was just to, to be something I wanted to mention was I think you made such a good, huge contribution to the way the game is played mm. and generate. You know, Brendan McCullum in particular changed the view of the way Test cricket needed to be played that it didn't need it to be like verbal and aggressive. And I think. Um, you know, New Zealand should be congratulated for sort of leading that. On Peter Siddle, well, what a star. I mean, 38, he was he was sacked by Victoria a few years ago. They said they didn't want him. So he's gone down to Tasmania. He's had a great few years there, and now he's back. And look, the main reason is there's quite a few young fast bowlers coming through here in Victoria, and they want an experienced head to sort of guide them through. Um, so, yeah, two more years. I don't know if he'll play every game, but uh, he's bowling as well as ever. He's Australia's Jimmy Anderson. Uh, what's, he is, what's yeah, absolutely. He, what's he like as a bloke, just away from cricket? What's he like as a bloke? So I've interviewed him a few times on my podcast, and I have to say he's a, a terrific guy. I didn't, I didn't have any dealings with him when he first came into the Australian side, but my understanding was he was a bit rough when he came into the Aussie side, a typical Aussie sort of fast bowler. Mm. Um, but he's now a senior statesman in the game, He's a lovely chap, and he he does um, you know, influence a lot of the young fast bowlers in the country. We've been talking to Andrew Mensel, uh, commentator on crick.com.au. Got a wonderful cricket podcast called Cricket Unfiltered. So, uh, Andrew, been an absolute joy talking to you today. We will stay in touch. I've loved it. Thanks, Mark. Cheers.